Every year at the beginning of the year, we start off the year with, uh, with a panel night. And what panel night is, if you've been wondering, it's when we take some questions uh, that you guys have given us over the course of the year or that we've had conversations about or, or that teenagers ask a lot of the times, whether it's about life or God or the Bible or whatever. And we just have some of our leaders uh, uh, answer those questions or give their experiences. Um, and something that I say a lot here is that you can learn from two things. You can learn from wisdom and experience. Wisdom is learning from other people's mistakes and other people's stupid decisions and other people's hurts. And uh, experience means you have to do it yourself. And you don't have to live that way. You don't have to live away in a way where you constantly are making mistakes and then trying to learn from it. Be like, okay, okay, now I won't do that next time. You can learn from someone else. And so uh, this night is really about wisdom and about just hearing from some of our leaders. So I'm going to introduce them real quick. This first guy is my dad. He's Pastor Jerry. He's the lead pastor of our church. Yeah. This next guy is Pastor Sean. Pastor Sean is our pastor of missions and serve here at Beach. And so anything that happens in the community or international when it comes to missions and serving is under Pastor Sean. And then these next two lovely, lovely ladies are Sarah and Sarah. And they are both life group leaders. They're both life group leaders here at Beach Church. Uh, Sarah is a 12th girl girl. 12th grade girls life group leader, and Sarah is a 9th grade girls life group leader. So yeah, so we're very thankful for them. I'm going to just get right to it. Some of the questions are silly. Some of them are a little bit not silly, a lot deeper. So um, this first one's a little bit silly. If you could have any animal as a pet and it would be fully tame, what would it be? Mine would be a cheetah. What would yours be? A pterodactyl. A pterodactyl. A pterodactyl, but I'm not. I would be one of the really awesome police dogs. Like a German Shepherd? Like whatever the best and trained is and it speaks like German, I would get one of those. Okay. I would have a finger monkey, a little pygmy marmosets, but I researched it and they're really expensive and you have to feed them like every two hours. So. It's like a, like a human baby. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want that, I promise. Next. Um, Joking. Well, I already have the best pet, so I would have Hobbs Pierre, who I already have. <laughs> He's my cat. Oh, your cat. <laughs> You're not talking about Yaz. He is not. Yaz is not a pet. Or I would have a sloth, but I already have Hobbs, so that's good. Yaz is her fiance. He's a life group leader, too. Yeah, stand up. Yeah. They're getting married uh, when? May 20th. May 20th. Five months, four months. Yeah, awesome. Awesome, awesome. Okay, this next one is a, a little bit more, more serious, so um, calm yourselves. If God is loving, and I'm going to ask this uh, specifically to Sean and to uh, Pastor Jerry. Am I doing something? Sean and Pastor Jerry. Um, if God is loving, if God is loving, why does he put even the best Christians through pain and suffering? If God is loving, why does he put Christians through pain and suffering? We'll start with Pastor Sean. Uh, I think this is an interesting question that often we want to avoid. Uh, I'll use an example to share my view on it. Um, a few years back, my wife and I, we lost a child in birth. Um, I would never want anyone to have to go through uh, that loss, that pain, those emotions, and all the pain that comes from that. However, I don't think God wastes a trial. So with that, as I look back now, that time in our lives, the Lord drew us into himself but then also our, our marriage became stronger with it, that we leaned into each other and then into the Lord, and the Lord used that time to grow us in him. Move forward a few years, I had a very, very dear friend go through the same exact situation. 
So the Lord used a trial in our life to prepare us to be a blessing for someone else when a trial hit their lives. Pastor Jerry. Am I on? Is it on? Okay. Um, I would just say that I think we, you know, we all suffer. I mean, we all go through trials. And it's not a matter of whether you're better than someone else or you have more money or you have more education or you're smarter. You know, all of us go through trials and suffering. And there's not a person you don't meet any day of your life that, you know, maybe behind the smiles and all the things that, that they are, that they're not going through trials as well. And a part of that is just that we live in a broken world and that sin is a very real part of the world and it's created a lot of problems, not only in our own hearts and lives, but also just in the world, everything about the world. And I think disease and a lot of things that we struggle with are the result of kind of living in a fallen world. And so everybody is impacted by it. And the best we can do is trust God, you know, like you were saying, Sean, in the middle of it and know that in some way God may not get you out of something, but he'll get you through something. Cool. Um, Sarah Howell. Uh, this is a mighty question for you to answer. How did God come to exist? Sarah, tell us all the secrets of the universe. How did God, God come to exist? By the way, we don't claim to know the answers to everything, and nobody knows the answer to this, but we're going to give you um, some wisdom and some, some thoughts uh, that we have experienced and learned from Scripture and, and all of that throughout the years. So just understand that. We're not, we're not standing up here saying we're, like, we, we're the end-all, be-all of, of knowledge. But go ahead. Exactly. Um, so... When I get a big question like this, I feel like you just have to turn to scripture because that's a really big question. And I don't have a very good answer, but throughout scripture, you'll see tons of evidence of uh, he was there in the beginning. And Revelation says that Alpha, Omega, beginning and end, all of these words to describe God. He was, he is, he is to come. So when it says he was, there is nothing before him. So I think that no one brought him into existence, that he's always been there to exist. He's always been there and always will be there. So, boom, he's there. <laughs> and, I, and I would just say that, um, you know, the Bible says that um, God was in the beginning. He created all things. And so the only reality you and I know is the reality that God has created. So we don't really have any answers for why you know, how God, I mean, God just is. So I know it's, it's a hard one. And I think our, our problem is that we see time and we're like, oh, well, this happened in 2003 or this happened in 2011. And, and our whole idea of time comes from God. And so God is not, the Bible even says God is God not like contained in time. He created time. And so when we think like there has to be a start, that's because that's how things are in our world in our created world that we believe that God created. Um, and, and so a lot of times we try to contain God in our world, but if God's really who he says he is and who the Bible says he is, then he doesn't need to be contained in time because he created um, time, which I know is kind of a crazy thought, but um, uh, yeah, that's that. Um, a lot of you have questions about dating a lot. And actually we're going to do a series at the end of the spring, um, like a four-week series just on dating. Um, but uh, tonight I just want to ask each of you kind of what your advice is, maybe just one piece of advice, um, maybe from your dating career or just from the life that you've lived. Um, and uh, and tell, us what, tell us what you wish you would have known as a teenager uh, about dating and about what it has to do with uh, or how we can date in a godly way. And anybody can start. 
everyone's looking at me. Okay, I guess I'll go. <laughs> um, so my advice would be that um, just because you've been with someone for a long time doesn't mean you have to continue to be with them, um, even if it's what your family expects or what your friends expect or anything like that. Um, that if you ever find yourself not wanting to be in a relationship with someone, that it doesn't matter how long you've been with them, that you can get out of that relationship. Um, and life will go on if you break up with someone. It will continue to exist, I promise. <laughs> we'll just continue down the line, Sarah. Kind of similar to what she said is that don't date someone that you wouldn't marry. And I know that that seems kind of probably big as a middle schooler or a high schooler because you're not really thinking about marriage right now. But even though it doesn't seem relevant now, I feel like you could still answer a lot of the big questions by asking, would I marry this person? If the answer is no, you should break up with that person um, just because, you know, ladies, if he's not valuing you and you say, okay, can I marry someone who doesn't value me? If, I hope the answer is no. Um, and I, I do think that's different than giving people grace in a relationship. And, you know, um, as Christians, we're expected to give grace as we've been given. And if we're working through our own sin and our own flaws, you should definitely support and hold each other accountable. But if it's a big thing that you couldn't see someone marrying, no. Break up. That's exactly what I was going to say. Literally. Exactly. So I'm done. All right. That's okay. I, w I would say, well... As a parent speaking, I would say that um, I am all about group dating because I think it takes a lot of, seriously, it takes a lot of the pressure off of Welcome just Welcome to that, my life. Yes, yes. <laughs> of just the, you know, the two being, you know, dealing with all the hormones and everything else that um, there's just something about group dating that I think is helpful. But on the other, on the flip side with regard to just kind of, you know, I was a teenager at one time. Uh, I think that probably for me it would be, um, you know, don't date anybody that wasn't a friend first. I mean, someone that you know, you know something about their life, you know something about, you know, the way they treat people, you know something about the way they, they tr you know, take care of themselves. And I just think that that's, that's very helpful. Yeah. And, uh, and my, my one piece of advice, and we'll, we'll expand upon this in, in the dating series, but... Um, it's something that, again, sounds harsh when I, when, I, when I talk to some of you guys, but you have to understand that 99% of your relationships in middle school and high school will not end in marriage. And the reason why I say that is because that changes the way you date that person. If you date them thinking, oh, my gosh, we're going to be together forever, you're going to say some things, you're going to do some things, you're going to act in some ways that you might regret later. Um, but if you just look at them as, hey, we really like each other, and we're dating right now, and we're just going to live in that, we're going to live in the present, you'll be, that'll go a long way to having healthier dating relationships when you're young. Um, because the, the worst thing that you can do is put everything into a relationship and believe that, oh, I'm going to get married, and then the, statistically, you're probably not. Um, and, and if you just kind of know that, not just like being doomsday, like, oh, we're going to break up, but just like kind of understanding that it may not be, you may not be together in 70 or 80 years, then like, I think that would help you just kind of understand how you want to go about dating people in middle school and, and high school. But what do I know? I only had three girlfriends ever. But I am married, so uh, I know something, I guess. Uh, all right. Um, how should a student ask this? How should I read the Bible? So, so we'll just kind of say, like, in what ways do you guys read the Bible and do you draw something from Scripture? 
Um, well, I just think that um, it's so important to spend time in God's word, first of all. Um, and I don't think there's like one single way that you do it. Um, and I think a lot of times people think I'll become more spiritual if I read more of the Bible every time I sit down. And, you know, I think the thing is consistency, taking time every day to spend a few minutes. <clears throat> and what I usually do is start in some book of the Bible. Like usually, um, if you've never read the Bible, I would start with something like one of the Gospels about Jesus' life, like Luke or John. Or read like the Proverbs. There's one chapter a day for 31 days. You could read that. But whenever I read the Bible, all I do is I, I think about, okay, what is God trying to tell me uh, about myself or about the world? And um, how could I apply that to my life? And that just keeps it real simple and um, short. And you don't have to make a big Bible study deal out of daily spending time in the Bible. Uh, for me, I think it's important that we slow down. Uh, I'm not the smartest person out there. Um, so as I read things, I try to paint a picture in my mind. I need to be able to see what's going on in the story. Another thing to think about, we're reading the oldest book in history. So why is the story that we're reading still there? So slow down, step out, try to envision what's going on so you can have a picture. Put yourself into that story, and then through that process, would, the, would God be able to say, hey, this is what I'm speaking to you through that? Kind of going uh, with what Pastor Jerry said with specific books of the Bible and starting there and reading it all the way through so you can actually learn about the writer and see it through how God took care of them till the end of it. Um, I really like, and I think that just comes from mission trips because a lot of you have done Jamaica and things like that, and that's kind of how I learned to read the Bible. And another thing is to get context on it, a lot like what Sean is saying too, is the Bible, in the beginning there's like a little, the chapter, not in the beginning in Genesis, but in the beginning of each book, mine has like a little pretext, and I think that's important to not skip over stuff like that, have the context of everything, because... Some verses are just like names, and you're like, okay, that might seem boring, but nothing in the Bible is by accident, and so if you really uh, learn about the writer, learn about the time period, it, it adds a lot of significance. Okay, this person was like in a small town, and God used them for a big picture, things that you would never um, see, and then when you're reading in the verses, there will be, I don't know what this is called, like little letters, and it denotes like to read down, you know what I'm saying? Footnotes, I believe. Yeah, footnotes. So then you'll flip to a different uh, verse in the Bible where it talks about that. And I just think that that has so much power in it when you can see either it'll be a verse and it'll be said in a different way that might click to you better using different words. Or it can be um, like when we talk about it will be in a t totally different book of the Bible. And I think that that makes the Holy Spirit so strong that two people from totally different towns are talking about the same thing. You just can't deny that what you're reading is true. So I think that's cool. I just flip around a lot and, and really understand the context of that passage. Um, I have kind of two things. One, um, part of the reason for you guys who have been in life groups for a few years, we have the same questions every week, and I know they get annoying sometimes. Like, what does this say about your life? What does this say about God? Like, we give you those so that... When you're reading the Bible on your own, you can think about them and learn how to apply it to your life. And then um, I have a study Bible. So um, as I'm reading, kind of like what Sarah said, there's footnotes, but there's also, as you're reading, questions for you to think about. Um, so it'll be like, 
reading this passage, and then there'll be a question like, in your life, what do you think about this? And I found that that really helps me be able to take that passage from, you know, 2,000 years ago and bring it up to how does this actually apply to present day in my life? Uh, I, will, I will definitely say m- many of you, many of you have a much better quiet time life than I had when I was your age. Um, and, and that's so awesome. And I'm, I'm so excited to see, see you guys doing that. But I would say the biggest thing is consistency. Um, and, and I'm not always consistent. Um, just, just like this past like eight months, I haven't really been very consistent. And I've kind of been um, a little bit more consistent this past week. And something cool that happened is, I, as, I, as I told you, I was reading something last night. And I read it and was like, okay, I got some things from it. But I didn't necessarily say, have an idea of like, what does this mean for me? Um, and then this morning in worship, God really connected something that had really stuck out to me and that I had kind of journaled about a little bit to the song Reckless Love, to what my sister said on stage, and just like I had this Holy Spirit moment, and it was incredible. It doesn't happen to me every week. I don't, I don't just break down in tears in church every week. It happens very, very, very rarely, but it happened this morning, and I don't know that it would have happened or that the Holy Spirit would have spoken to me that way if I didn't read that last night. Uh, before I went to bed, um, if I didn't have that quiet time with him. And that just happens from day to day, because you don't get that every time. Sometimes you read it, and you're like, eh, okay. And you just, and you just move on. You feel like, oh my gosh, I'm just kind of banging my head against the wall. But if you are consistent, God will consistently show up in those things uh, that you read. Um, this one's for my two girls, Sarah and Sarah. Should you stop doing things that you love if they aren't godly? Should you stop doing things that you love if they aren't godly? Yes. Um, (laughs) so I think this is a really difficult question because obviously you started doing them at some point. Um, but the fact that you're realizing that it's not godly kind of is the first step. And, um, basically if you realize something isn't godly or isn't biblical, it's going to separate you from God. So your relationship with God is going to be hindered by whatever action you're doing, I mean, whether it's, like, sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend or lying to your parents or killing someone. I mean, everything. (laughs) Hopefully you guys aren't killing people. Um, Everything is separating yourself from God. And I think kind of a really practical way to start to change that attitude or that activity is just realizing, okay, this is something that I want to do, but I understand that it's not appropriate or, you know, isn't biblical. And then sometimes you're going to slip up and you're going to like, okay, I lied to my parents. But um, say you do that, then you can go back and maybe have a discussion with them and be like, listen, I know this was wrong. I did lie to you, but I'm like growing as a person and um, trying to have a better relationship with you and with God and kind of move forward from there slowly, step by step, and it will get easier as you go through. Yes. Um, for me, I will have, you know, it'll be something like gossiping or anger or something like that that I would consider not godly or sinful, and, and it's a long road to try and change ways from things that aren't godly if you're always trying to do better or to be nicer. Uh, I found that I fail every time because I'm so focused on, okay, don't talk about that person be nice when you walk in there, and I can't, and that's really hard because I'm focusing on being a better person, and rather I should, you know, change my focus from things that I shouldn't do to trying to be more like God, and so instead of saying, like, okay, don't do that, don't do that, I'm saying be more like Christ, and so I'll I'll pray and say, you know, give me eyes to see what you see, open my heart 
to feel the way that you love these people. Let me love them like you love them and um, hear things that you hear. Just having that Holy Spirit and you're just trying to model your life after God's. And as you pray and focus on that, you'll find that you're becoming more like him. And then you'll have less of a desire to do those things. And your focus won't be on the things that you loved that were not godly because you'll be focused on what he likes to do. And kind of like you were saying, it reminds me of Epworth with... We were talking about being transformed from you have something that you know is not godly and you don't want to do it anymore. Um, You do have to give yourself grace. It is a process. And Ryan said, don't let the devil come and make you feel like you haven't been changed. If you are working on not doing something and you do it again, that's the devil telling you you are changed. It's a process. So give yourself grace in in the transformation. Um, For each of you, uh, what is your favorite worship song right now? For me, it was all three songs that we sang right before this. I have three, so will I, Reckless Love, and Open Heaven. Those are my three. Uh, Anything Ben is singing. Anything, yes. Wow. Shout out to Pastor Ben in the back. Best in state. Sarah's? King of my heart. Um, I love anything from Bethel music. (laughs) That's y'all. Mine is also So Will I. Cool. Um, this one, uh, let's just have Sarah Howell answer this one. What are, uh, or how do I stop making school an idol when everyone puts such an emphasis on it? Uh, well, with any idol, I feel the best way to lose focus on that is to put God back in his rightful place as first in your life. Um, so... That might mean saying a prayer before you walk into school and just before your day starts, just fixing your eyes on him. And I know that a way that we put it into perspective a lot is by asking the question in 100 years or saying in 100 years, all that matters is what you did with Jesus. And so the same is true for school. And I know that you really want to put all your efforts towards it, but I graduated six years ago, and that's a lot less than 100, and already that high school doesn't matter to me, in the sense that it was important, and I'm glad that I tried hard, but I couldn't tell you what my GPA was, who was in my classes, or anything arbitrary that has to do with school, and I personally didn't have school as an idol until I was in college, uh, where I just allowed fear and worry to be bigger than my God, and I would think, oh, if I don't get an A, on this test, then I'm not going to pass the class. If I don't pass the class, I'm not going to get into the program. If I don't get a program, I'm not going to be an adult and have a job. So that is just out of control, and, and that wouldn't have happened if I kept my eyes on God and I didn't idolize school. Um, I would have remembered and had peace and confidence in the Lord that he's taking care of this, and if I put him first, I wouldn't be worried about school and all the things that, that come along with that, with the fear about doing well. Can I say something? Um, I think, too, um, when we go into school, a lot of times we want, all of us want to be valued. But the reality is your value doesn't come from the grades you make. You know, your value doesn't come from whether you're a cool kid or not a cool kid. Your value doesn't come from teachers or any of those kind of things. And when we can begin to see that our value really comes from who God says we are, and we can begin to do like what Sarah said, to put our focus on him and, and allow his love to be that which drives us. Uh, then it puts school in perspective because school's important. 
And it's important to, to, you know, for you to do well and want to do well. And because everything we do, we want to bring God glory. But at the same time, you want to keep it in its proper perspective. It's not everything. And it certainly doesn't. Um, it's not the thing that makes you valuable. That's God. Um, this one for Pastor Jerry. What is, why is it so hard to be consistent in following Jesus, especially as a young person? Why is it so hard to be consistent in following Jesus, especially as a young person? A few reasons. I think one, hormones. It's a tough one. Um, uh, another one probably is acceptance. Because I remember when I was in school a long, long time ago, I remember that I just wanted so desperately to be accepted, you know, to be a part of, you know, the cool kids. And, and I just oftentimes would sacrifice some of my values in order to be included or, you know, to be liked by someone. And so I think acceptance is a big one. I think a part of it, too, is just you're, you're kind of in this in-between between you're coming out of childhood and you're beginning to move into adulthood. And yet, you know, there's just a lot of mixed feelings in that. You know, am I still, should I take responsibility for this? Should I not? And so I think a lot of it's the age as well, too. Cool. Um, and this is for whoever wants to answer it. Um, and this is obviously a, a very big question. But what's the problem? What's the problem with being physical slash having sex outside of marriage? So not, not is it a sin, but what's the problem with doing that outside of marriage? Uh, I, I was told this. I was probably 15 years old, and, and I've remembered it to this day. And it's an example. So... If I have a piece of tape, and I'm going to walk up, I'm going to put that piece of tape on Ryan. Then I'm going to take it off Ryan, then I'm going to put it on Pastor Jerry. Then I'm going to go and put it on Sarah. Then I'm going to go put it on Sarah. By, as I go down the line, it gets less and less sticky. And along with that, you're picking up things along the way. So it's the idea with our sexual relations as we go out through, through our dating. That is, you are giving of yourself to these people that you meet. You are losing physically a piece of yourself, and you're, you're, you're adding emotional baggage, and, and unfortunately, probably physical baggage that's going to come with it as well, too. So if the, the thing that he said was, keep your duct tape, your duct tape sticky. <laughs> right? Keep your tape sticky. That means you're not passing it around, okay? Who else? I have um, been in sexual relationships and not sexual relationships. Um, so speaking, I guess, about the difference between them is that, um, well, based on my experience, whoever you don't have sex with, you're going to get married to. Um, <laughs> but um, I think that I, as an example, would not have stayed in relationships that were unhealthy nearly as long if I didn't have that connection with the person. Um, I think that realizing, oh, maybe this isn't the healthiest relationship or, you know, maybe this relationship isn't really going anywhere. Like Sarah said, like, I couldn't really see myself marrying them. Um, but the physical part of it kind of blinds you a little bit to what's really happening in the relationship. And I would just say that, you know, a lot of times I think we make the false assumption that, you know, God is down on sex. And he's not because God created sex and it was intended to be a good gift. And But I do think God is down, you know, God doesn't want us to experience the kind of pain that we experience a lot of times. When we give 
the very most, one of the most special parts of who we are to someone else in the context where there's not that strong commitment like in a marriage relationship where you're committed <clears throat> to go the distance with each other. And so I think that, um, you know, that's one of the biggest parts for me. I remember talking about analogies. Probably the one that I remember most was the whole analogy about fire that, you know, that when fire is within like a fireplace, it's awesome. When fire is in the woods, it's destructive. And that's kind of like, you know, sex is that, you know, within the context of marriage, it's very beautiful and it's intended to be that way. But then in the context of just one relationship after another, it can be very destructive and painful. Um, A lot of areas where the Bible talks about sin, for example, like if you're having an issue uh, conflict with someone, it'll say go to them first and try and resolve it and things like that. But uh, sexual relations and sexual immorality is different in that sense, where when you read the scripture, it says flee from sexual immorality. So I think that it's no coincidence that it's set, in apart, set apart in that type of sin because God's not playing with that at all. He's saying, like, run the other direction. Don't even dabble in any of that because he knows how destructive it is as his children he loves us so much, and um, I think that that's one of the few sins that physically affects your body. Um, so knowing how bad that can hurt and, and have attachment with that. Yeah, thank you. Um, this one for just Pastor Jerry. Why does our church believe in having, having women or female pastors, um, and is there an example of female pastors or leaders in the Bible? Uh, yeah, so we do, you know, there's some churches that have female pastors and some churches that don't. And uh, within our denomination, we do have uh, female pastors. And a part of that is like when you take the whole context of Scripture, you begin to read such things as in Christ, there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. We're all one in Christ. And um, the Bible also mentions how <clears throat> in certain times God would pour out his spirit upon both men and women and they would prophesy and there's just that kind of understanding and if you look throughout the Old and New Testament um, there are women who led Um, for instance in the New Testament there was this woman named Priscilla and um, she opened her home she and her husband uh, helped support Paul in his ministry and um, she actually helped train up one of the greatest preachers in the New Testament whose name was Apollos, and she helped teach him, and they operated kind of a church out of their home. And so there are several examples of women like that in the Bible who had leadership roles. Yeah, and this, will, this church and this ministry will never be a place that uh, lets gender get in the way of leadership or lets gender get in the way of, um, of the gifts that God has given you. And, and to me, it's just kind of evident. Like we see all over the world, and in this ministry and all around our community, that there are women pastors and speakers and worship leaders and, and, and children's pastors and student pastors and, and missionaries that are doing amazing spirit-filled work. And if God wasn't in it, it wouldn't be amazing and spirit-filled. So um, just the fact that we see the evidence of, of people doing amazing things, females doing amazing things, I think is evidence enough um, that, that God um, supports leadership um, really from uh, both sides of things. Um, this next one is a, is a very uh, tough question, um, and one of our students asked this a couple weeks ago. If people accept Jesus, if people accept Jesus into their heart, they're Jesus followers, 
and then they commit suicide, do they still go to heaven? Pastor Jerry? Yes. Sarah, do you want to say anything? Yes. Um, so I thought your answer was going to be longer than that. <laughs> well, I can. Um, so I would also say yes. Um, kind of what I expected you to say was like a sin is a sin. Um, so, you know, committing suicide is a sin, but if you've accepted Christ, your sin is forgiven. Um, I just wanted to put kind of a plug in um, because having this question come up, come up um, really touches me personally. When I was in high school, two of my friends committed suicide, um, and that was 15 years ago for me, and it's still something I'm dealing with today. So please, if um, you're depressed or you're thinking about things, please talk to someone. Um, I am all about counseling. Like, I truly believe counseling can help, um, but just even talking to your life group leader, like, your life group leaders care so much about you. Like, just reach out to them. Just a quick text, like, hey, can we meet up? You know, I want to talk to you about something. Um, Talk to a teacher that you trust. Or, I mean, I know talking to your parents is, like, difficult sometimes to begin with, and this is, like, a really touchy subject. But um, definitely talk to your parents about the things that are bothering you. And um, nothing that's happening in your life right now is going to last forever. I mean, everything all the problems that seem so big right now, like kind of like what Sarah said, I can't even remember what I was worried about in high school, but I remember being upset all the time. So like, obviously at that point in my life, like things seem so big and now I can't even remember what they were. So like you will get through it, but please reach out to someone. No one's going to turn you away or think that it's like a stupid question. Um, Everyone wants to help you and be there for you. So. And I just wanted to, to add to my yes answer. <laughs> the, the thing that I, the thing that I mean, I agree with you 100%, Sarah. I think that um, a lot of times people are struggling and they don't have anybody to go to, and it's very important to talk to someone if you're struggling with something like that. But the one, the one thing I want to remind us all of is there's no, there's nothing in all of life. It's it's what the Bible says. There's nothing that will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. When you have placed your trust in him, you have placed all the brokenness and hurt of your life and um, every place of sin in your life. And uh, when Jesus died on the cross, he died for all of it. And I really believe that someone who would commit suicide, I used to think, gosh, they were so selfish. Now I think it's a mental illness. It is a... there's de- clinical depression, there's struggles where someone can no longer even think rationally about the people that they care about in their lives. And so I just believe that um, it's very, very important, as Sarah said, to talk to somebody if you're struggling with that. But um, know that there's nothing that separates us from Christ. Yeah, and, and, and if you, if you kind of are even questioning, like, well, why would suicide be a sin? Just, just understand um, that our God is a God that supports things that result in life and things that result in love. Um, and I think we can all agree that any death doesn't lead to life. And any death um, is, is a thing that hurts people um, and hurts the heart of God. And, and, so, uh, and so as Pastor Jerry said, like, 
it's not like Jesus got up on the cross and was like, all right, I'm dying, every, dying, dying for everything that you ever do. But, but, but guys, but guys, listen, if you kill yourself, that's not on this. Like, that's not on me. Like, that's on you. Like, that, that's, that's ridiculous. Like, it, it would be ridiculous to say that there are certain sins that are not um, saved uh, that we're not saved from when we give our life to Christ. Um, and just so you know very quickly where that kind of comes from, there's, this kind of, there's kind of this thought that like the reason why you would go to hell is because you can't ask forgiveness for that sin because you're, you're dead. Um, but the truth is when you give your life to Christ, all things are forgiven. We don't, we don't operate on this, this old system where we're sacrificing every time to make up for our sins. Like, that's, it's done. And so if you uh, give your life to Christ, all sins are washed away, um, whether or not you remember to ask forgiveness for them at, at some point. Because it's not based on us. It's based on God. Very quickly, um, each of you, what is one very quick piece of advice that you would give just about friends? Because I know you guys got issues in your friendships because I hear about it all the time and I see it all the time. So y'all listen on this point. We'll start with Sarah. Go. Um, mine is kind of the same one that it was for dating. If you're having issues in your friendship and some things can be worked out and some can't, but um, sometimes you need to walk away from a friendship, at least for a, a time. Sarah? I think that you can surround yourself with bad friends and defend yourself by saying, well, I'm not doing what they're doing, and you're just hanging out with them. But um, a lot of you have experienced it already. You can be guilty by association. You may not be doing or saying that act, but because you're associated with it, it can be just as bad or it can get you in just as much trouble. I think it's important to remember just because you're surrounded by a bunch of people doesn't necessarily mean you have friends and that we need to be intentional to be authentic and real with people that we trust. And if, and if you can't be real and honest with those people in your lives, ask yourself, are they really your friend? And make sure that you're, you're seeking to add those true friendship, friendships into your life. Yeah, I would say, um, you know, the people that are friends in your lives are ones that can, that can both offer grace and truth. So grace means they will love you in your worst possible moment and stand by you when no one else will. And they will also speak the truth because they love you and they care about you. And they'll speak the truth sometimes even when they know it could jeopardize the friendship because they care that much about you. And mine would be something for you, not for your friend. I would just say don't hurt your friends. Because a lot of us just hurt each other all the time. We say things, we type things, we, we just do these things that hurt each other. And it's just, it's just stupid. Just control what you can control. Control what, the way you treat your friends, the way you act towards your friends. Um, very last question. Uh, if you had a movie made about your life, if you had a movie made about your life, who would be the actor or actress who played you? I'll start. Denzel Washington for me. <laughs> Mine's a toss-up. Harrison Ford or Denzel Washington? Russell Crowe. Of course. Emma Watson. The funny thing is, both Sarah's picked to Emma. Mine would be Emma Stone. All right, all right. Hey, can we thank our panel for coming and sharing with us tonight?